Good afternoon. No, good evening. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Corrine Jackson, and I will be your service leader this, this evening. As Unitarian Universalists, we are bound together not only by a common set of beliefs, but by our promise to support one another in our individual searches for truth and meaning. Guided by our principles and drawing from many sources. We do hope that you feel welcome here. Whatever you believe in or don't believe, whoever you love, whoever, however you understand family, whatever your age, race, or ability, you are welcome here. We invite you to join us in a journey of three, free thought, spiritual questing, and justice making for as long as you feel comfortable doing so. We expend, extend a special welcome to our visitors this evening. Please join us after the service for conversation. We begin our gathering acknowledging that we are located on Treaty 6 territory. We respect the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, in Inuit, and the First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to en enrich our vibrant community. Now let us <clears throat> prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Let us go, just for a time, let go of the everyday world. Let's quiet ourselves, our phones and devices, and we'll create a space in this hour to simply be together in the spirit of love and, and life we gather. In order to focus ourselves on this service, I invite you to an opening time of reflection as we listen to the prelude that marks the time, the start of our service. I would like to invite um, Andrea and Tim up for the prelude. Andrea Graham has over 30 years of diverse vocal experience, including opera, choral work, musical theater, and featured soloist in blues, jazz, and R&B live projects. She sometimes can even be found singing in our very own Coriolis Choir. She is joined by Tim Maskell. Tim has over 50 years of guitar-based experience, ranging in styles from rock and roll, musical theater, jazz, blues, and, and classical guitar. He is even known to pick up a banjo Tim and Andrea have made cup, <clears throat> excuse me, one half of the Andrea Graham Jazz Quartet, and we are very happy to have them here for New e Christmas Eve. <laughs>
This song we're going to be performing, you've probably heard before. Quite a few times, probably. Um, feel free, if you know the words, to join along, because that's fun and it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> Beneath this snowy mantle, cold and clean, the unborn grass lies waiting for the coat of turn to green. The snowbird sings a song he always sings And speaks to me of flowers that will bloom again in spring When I was young, my heart was young then too And anything that it would tell me, that's the thing that I would do but now I feel such emptiness within For the thing that I want most in life's the thing that I can't win So spread your tiny wings and fly away And take the snow back with you where it came from on that day the one I love forever is untrue And if I could, you know I would fly away with you The breeze along the river seems to say That he'll only break my heart again should I decide to stay so little snowbird, take me with you when you go To that land of gentle breezes Where the peaceful waters flow If you know it So spread your tiny wings and fly away And take the snow back with you Where it came from on that day the one I love forever is untrue And if I could, you know that I would fly away with you Yeah, if I could, you know that I would fly away with you Got a couple of you singing. <laughs> Thank you for helping. I'd like to invite Ruth up to light the chalice candle. I have a reading I want to do. It's by Lord Alfred Tennyson and it's called Ring Out Wild Bells. Ring out, wild bells, to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty night, the year is dying in the night. Ring out, wild bells, and let them die. Ring out the old, ring in the new, ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let it go. Ring out, the f ring out the faults, ring in the true. Ring out the want, the care, the sin. 
the faithlessness, cold, cool, coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out my mournful rhymes, but ring in the, the fuller minstrel in. Ring in the valiant one and free, the larger heart, the kindlier hand. Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christmas that is meant to be. Now we will have a hymn, Joy to the World. It is number 245 in your hymnal. like to call up two people to help light the Christmas candles, Robert Begg and Jeff Jackson. The placing of candles upon a circle of evergreens is an age-old tradition. Lighting additional candles each day or week as the light wanes has been part of human rituals for centuries upon centuries. We are warmed by the glow. We are reminded that the wheel of the season will turn and brilliant lengthening days will return. The original Advent wreath in the Christian tradition dates back to the 16th century and included a candle for each of the 12, 24 days leading up to Christmas. For us, here in this time, the circle of evergreens reminds us that life and love will never end. We light, the, we light candles each week 
With anticipation, as we know, a new season will soon be here. Days will become longer, and we know that the warmth of the candles will soon be replaced by the warmth of the sun. On the first week of Advent, we lit the candle of hope. Hope is the motivating force that moves us through times of despair. We see that the days are getting shorter, the weather colder, and the night longer. Hope tells us that longer days are ahead, that new life will emerge, and that we need to hold on just a little longer. With hope, we begin our journey toward the sun and the new life it brings. We now relight the candle of hope. You, you, you can, yeah. okay. uh, on the second Sunday of Advent, we thought about peace, and we lit the second candle with these words. In this time of expectancy and celebration, let us hold on to the ideal of peace. Even though wars rage around the world, and sometimes in our hearts, we recognize that peace arrives gently and to an open heart. We light the candle of peace to remind us that it is with the softness of a dove's wing that peace descends upon us. We now relight the candle of, of peace. We celebrate a joy on the third Sunday of Advent. We asked you, where do you find joy? Is it in the simple things like a warm and fragrant cup of tea? Or in something monumental like the birth of a new family member? In this, the season, the season of sharing, may we find joy in the mundane, the monumental, the familiar, and the strange. Joy can sometimes be elusive, and so we light this candle to help guide our way. We relight the candle of joy. Last Sunday, we celebrated generosity and love during our mitten tree service. We were reminded that love animates our days, informs our decisions, and quickens our hearts. The candle of love represents all we hold dear, our precious memories, our caring for one another, and this beautiful planet that sustains us, love knows us, holds us, and nurtures us. May love find us this Advent season as we rest here for a moment, take in the stillness, and be present to ourselves and those around us. We relight the candle of love. And now on this cold and dark Christmas Eve, we look to the Christmas candle, the candle of light, 
We bring light into our world during this time to remind us that the sun is returning. For some, it is Jesus, the light of the world that is celebrated. For others, the sun and solstice that is meaningful. For others, the miracle of Hanukkah. We are reminded tonight that it is the light we seek. We need light within and around us. We need light to guide our footsteps, to warm our hearts, hearths and hearts. And we desire to be a light for those that seek. May we be that light when others need us. And may we find light when our own has grown dim. We now light our Christmas candle the candle of light. We will now sing another hymn. It came upon a midnight clear. That is number 244 in the hymn book.
One of the purposes of this church community is to encourage all who gather here to grow more generous in spirit and action. In addition to supporting this community, we also make a monthly donation to a wider community. For this evening, Christmas Eve, we are 100% supporting the minister's discretionary fund. We take an offering that allows us to exercise that all-important generosity of spirit, an offering that will support this self-supporting church and its many ministries. For those in the sanctuary, you can use the envelopes found in the inside cover of the hymn book if you wish to get a tax receipt for your gift. Please indicate on the envelope your contact information so we can send you a tax receipt. Many of our uh, members and friends make monthly or annually through donations through automatic withdrawal from their accounts. Offering plates are located. No offering plates? Okay. We thank you for your generosity of spirit and action. Through all we do here in the community and the wider world, we are involved in the important spiritual work of creation and compassion. I would like to introduce um, Reverend Rosemary and Gordon Ritchie are going to play a do do duet. Still, still, still.
we will now sing From You I Receive twice. think I was on. I'll start over. Good evening. So glad you're here with us this evening. My name is the Reverend Rosemary Morrison and it is my pleasure to serve this congregation. I welcome you here on this snowy Christmas Eve, December 24th, just a few days past winter solstice. Let's pause here for a moment. Settle into our seats. But first, make sure you have a star to write on, something to write with. If you're joining us online, thank you for being here with us this evening. You could take a piece of paper or a candle or anything, really, and join us. And maybe you're joining later on on, you, on our YouTube channel. I invite you to connect with the in intent of this ritual, ritual uh, to help us find our way to our essence, to help us find the things that we hold dear. Tonight is Christmas Eve, and it's blustery out. Apparently, we're getting ice pellets tonight. I was like, oh, great. And if there, you might have a turkey if you're going to cook one tomorrow, and it's probably thawing out somewhere. Mine are in the kitchen. And you probably have lists running around in your head. Did you do this? Did you do that? I still have wrapping to do. I wonder, oh darn, the stores are closed and I don't have any poultry seasoning. <laughs> now, just for a moment, just for a little moment, let's pretend that all of those things are done. All that there is left for you to do is enjoy. Enjoy your time with your friends, with your family, or maybe you're going to take tomorrow and absolutely revel in the silence of Christmas Day when all the stores are closed and all the people stay home. So pushing all those things aside, what is left? What warms your heart this eve? Where does your mind wander when you think of this time, this time of expectancy, waiting for the light to return and the birth of a child. And that child represents new life, renewal, tradition, and fulfillment of our deepest desires. There, in the stillness of your heart, what is that thing that speaks to you? Can you find a word, a thought, a phrase that represents this feeling for you? If so, go ahead and write it on your star. Perhaps it's too muddled or cloudy 
to see clearly that one thing. It certainly is to me. What are you feeling this Christmas Eve? What does this time conjure up for you? Perhaps that is the word or short phrase you write on your star. Allow yourself to just be. Let whatever enters your mind welcome it and be present to it. Remembering a past solstice or Hanukkah or Diwali or Christmas seasons, what has made it special for you? Let's sit in silence for just a moment. Then when you are ready, go ahead and put your star on our wishing tree. Your wishes, hopes, and dreams will join with all the others on this special night and beyond. And it's okay if you just put that you're muddled still, because I kind of am. And it's okay to be muddled. We'll work through it together. Gordon will accompany our wishes as they go onto the tree with the magic of the heart. Are you ready to put some stars, some wishes on our tree?
Now we will have another hymn, the first Noel, number three, 237. <coughs> couple of things you need to know. Um, there is um, an organization, a company called Mocktails, and they come in here three days a week and make product, uh, non-alcoholic um, drinks and bitters for people to have. And uh, I have put their mulled wine in our herbal tea thing. And if we run out, there's lots more in the fridge. So if you notice it's running low, go to the fridge in the, in the kitchen and put another jug in. I can't be there and here at the same time. So please stay afterwards and have a, a, a glass, a cup of seasonal cheer. And the other thing I want you to know is that tomorrow the church will be open all day. I'll be here. I'll have board games out, uh, movies in the big classroom, um, food, whatever you bring. And then um, there's snacks and uh, turkey dinner at 5 o'clock if you find yourself alone or lonely or... It's just the two of you, or you forgot the poultry seasoning. Come on down. Come on down. I bought poultry seasoning today. And summery savory, my two things, that favorite things for. And I also want to give you a little warning. You will not be getting out of here on time. This is going to go a little long because I'm really excited about this service. And I packed a lot in. So... 
What I would like to present to you this evening is an excerpt or two from the best Christmas pageant ever by Barbara Robinson. When my children were growing up, one of the traditions I fell into was reading the last chapter of the best Christmas pageant ever. And I think they've now made it into a movie. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure there are many funny and peculiar moments, because there is a lot of really funny and peculiar moments in the book. The book was published in 1972, but it harkens back to a time further back than that. Back to when gender roles were pretty rigid, and like my parents, women did, not, did most, if not all, of the domestic work. Also, the story is written in language of the true meaning of Christmas. And once in a while, I think it's really important to ponder the stories and metaphors of this Christian story. So think of it as a story written for any culture, as all stories contain wonders and mysteries. That's what makes for a great story, like this one is. So let's set the stage. I can't read the whole book to you, and I would really love to. Believe me, I would really love to, but I can't. Um, I'm going to keep you here long enough. So I'm going to set the stage for you. This story takes place in any town USA. I picture this story taking place in around the 1950s, early 60s, in Kentucky or southern Indiana. As the story begins, the narrator introduces the Herdmans, the stars of the story. And they are, as the narrators, the author states, or the narrator states, the worst kids the world has ever seen. I kind of doubt that, but that's what the author calls them. These six kids, Imogene, Claude, Ralph, Leroy, Ollie, and Gladys, well, they smoke, they curse, they bully other kids, they steal, and they set things on fire and burnt down the abandoned tool house. Speaking of abandonment, their father abandoned them when they were young, and their mother works two jobs and has no time to look after her rowdy kids and has re refused help because she says she likes to work two jobs because she likes to get away from the kids. <laughs> The Herdmans, the Herdman siblings, take care of themselves. Uh, the narrator's little brother, Charlie, is a frequent target of Leroy Herdman, who likes to steal his dessert at school. Charlie mentions that it doesn't really matter much because he gets all the snacks he wants at Sunday school. Snacks at Sunday school? The herdmen's ears perk up, and they decide to show up the next Sunday to see what they can get. They were only planning a one-time kind of go through Sunday school and find all the snacks, uh, but then they heard about the upcoming pageant, and so they decided they'd stick around and participate. And then the pageant's usual director has an accident that puts her in the hospital, so the narrator's mother is brought in to lead the rehearsals. The Herdman kids push their way into the lead roles of Mary, Joseph, the three wise men, and the angel of the Lord, the only speaking part. You know, these kids had never heard the story before, 
and it intrigued them. And they started to learn everything they could about it. Imagine never actually have, having heard the story. And they become angry about the injustices that Mary and Joseph faced when they were put in the stable. And when King Herod tried to kill the baby Jesus, they are confused by the three rich kings bringing jars of oil as a gift and start questioning and asking real questions that even the narrator questions their own beliefs and the nativity story. Not everyone is happy with the Herdmans. I doubted if there was very many people actually happy with the Herdmans. And, that, and the top of the list was Alice Wenlikin. I'll say it right probably once in this whole time. And Alice was a prim and proper girl who always used to play the role of Mary until she was pushed out by Imogene. She kept track, keeps track of every wrong thing that Imogene says and does, hoping that the Herdmans will make one major mistake so she can get her mother involved and force them out of the pageant. She sees her opportunity when one of the church women enters the bathroom during the dress rehearsal and finds it filled with Imogene's cigar smoke. The fire department is called and the church is evacuated in a panic. The dress rehearsal is called off and the pastor is flooded with phone calls. Don't phone me about people smoking in the bathroom. And the pastor is flooded with phone calls complaining about the herdmans. The pastor, the Reverend Hopkins, talks to the narrator's mother and asks her if they should call off the pageant this year. But she has faith and asks, them, asks him to let the show go on, saying, it'll be the best one they've ever done. We'll see. But first, Andrea and Tim, I'd love for you to come back up and, and grace us with your music. A change is going to come. on the cliffhanger.
We will have another hymn now. Angels we have heard on high. Oh. Yep. Angels we have heard on high.
We've been through the uh, summary of the first seven chapters or so of the book. And now I'm going to read the last chapter of the best Christmas pageant ever. On the night of the pageant, we didn't have any supper because mother forgot to fix it. My father said that was all right between Mrs. Armstrong's telephone calls and the pageant rehearsals. He didn't expect supper anymore. When it's all over, he said, we'll go someplace and have hamburgers. But mother said, when it's all over, I'm going to go someplace and hide. <laughs> We've never even once gone through the whole thing, she said. I don't know what's going to happen. It might be that the first Christmas pageant in history, when, when Joseph and the wise men get in a fight, and Mary runs off with the baby. She might be right, I thought, and I wondered what all of us in the angel choir ought to do in case that happened. It would be dumb for us to just stand there singing about the holy infant if Mary had run off with him. But nothing seemed very different at first. There was the usual big mess all over the place, baby angels getting poked in the eye by other baby angels wings and grumpy shepherds stumbling over their bathrobes, probably their father's bathrobes. The spotlight swooped back and forth and up and down till it made you sick to your stomach to look at it. And, as usual, whoever was playing the piano pitched away in a manger so high you could hardly hear it, let alone sing it. My father says, away in a manger always stand, starts out sounding like a closet full of mice. But everything settled down, and at 7.30, the pageant began. While we sang away in a manger, the ushers lit candles all around the church, and the spotlight came on to be the star so you really had to know the words to Away in a Manger because you couldn't see anything. Not even Alice Wendelkin's vaselined eyelids. So Alice, Alice's mother, in part of the story that you didn't get to, uh, I didn't get to read, Alice's mother was the person that put on the pageant usually or which she was kind of a big wig in the church, and, and she liked her daughter to kind of stand out. So they're not allowed to wear makeup, but she would take Vaseline and put it on her eyelids so that her eyelids kind of sparkled and, and stood out. Anyways, another character in the story is Alice's eyelids. After that, we sang two verses of Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, and, and then we were supposed to hum some more, Oh, Little town of Bethlehem, while Mary and Joseph came in from a side door. Only they didn't come in right away. So we hummed, and we hummed, and we hummed, and we hummed, which is boring and kind of hard. And before long, it doesn't sound like any song at all. More like an old refrigerator. I knew that something like this would happen, Alice Wendelkin whispered to me. They didn't come at all. We won't have any Mary and Joseph. And now what are we supposed to do? 
I guess we could have gone on humming till we turned blue, but we didn't have to. Ralph and Imogene were there all right. Only for once they didn't come through the door pushing and shoving each other out of the way. They just stood there for a minute as if they weren't sure they were in the right place. Because of the candles, I guess, and the church being full of people. They kind of looked like the people you see on the six o'clock news. Refugees sent to wait in some strange, ugly place with all their boxes and sacks around them. It suddenly occurred to me that this must have been what it was like for the Holy Family, stuck away in a barn by people who didn't much care what happened to them. They couldn't have been very neat and tidy either, but more like Mary and Joseph, because Emma Jean's veil was cockeyed as usual and Ralph's hair stuck out all around his ears. Imogene had the baby doll, but she wasn't carrying it the way she was supposed to, cradled in her arms. She had it slung up over her shoulder, and before she put the baby in the manger, she gave it a good thump <laughs> on the back. We'll leave it there for now, and Alora Kylie is going to grace us with the Christmas song by Mel Torme, and I'm going to run to the piano. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. It's okay, I'm good at stalling. Fine. <laughs> need my mic turned. You're spoiling the surprise. Hi. Last bit. Here we go. <laughs>
Okay, now, where were we? All right. It, it suddenly occurred to me that this was just the way it must have been for the real holy family, stuck away in a barn. They couldn't have been very neat and tidy either. More like this, Joseph and Mary. And I'll just repeat this. Imogene had the baby doll, but she wasn't carrying it in the way she was supposed to, cradled in her arms. She had it slung up over her shoulder. And before she put it in the manger, she gave it a good thump, twice, on the back. I heard Alice gasp, and she poked me. I don't think it's very nice to burp the baby Jesus, she whispered, as if he had colic. Then she poked me again. Do you think he could have had colic? I said, I, I don't know why not. And I didn't. He, he could have had colic or been fussy or hungry like any of the other babies. After all, wasn't that the point of Jesus? That he didn't come down on a cloud like something out of amazing comics? But that he was born and, and lived, a real person. Right away, we had to sing while shepherds watched their flocks by night, and we had to sing very loud, because there were more shepherds than there were anything else. And they made so much noise, banging their crooks around like a bunch of hockey sticks. <laughs> Next came Gladys from behind the angel choir, pushing people out of the way and stepping on everyone's feet. Since Gladys was the only one in the pageant that had anything to say, she made the most of it. Hey, unto you, a child is born, she hollered, as, it was, as if it was, for sure, the best news in the world. And all the shepherds trembled, sore afraid of Gladys, mainly. <laughs> but it looked good anyway. Then came three carols about angels. It, it took that long to get the angels in because they were all primary kids and they got nervous and cried and forgot where they were supposed to go and they bent their wings in the door and things like that. We got a little rest then while the boys sang We Three Kings of Orient Are and everybody in the audience shifted around to watch the wise men march up the aisle. What have they got? Alice whispered. I didn't know, but whatever it was, it was heavy. Leroy almost dropped it. He didn't have his frankincense jar either. And Claude and Ollie didn't have anything, although they were supposed to bring the gold and the myrrh. I knew this would happen, Alice said for the second time. I bet it's something awful. Like what? Like a burnt offering. You know the herdmans. Well, they did burn things, and, but they hadn't burned this yet. It was a ham. And right away I knew where it came from. My father was on the church charitable works committee. They give away food baskets at Christmas, and this was the herdman's food basket ham. It still had a ribbon around it saying, Merry Christmas. I bet they stole that, Alice said. They did not, 
It came from their food basket. And if they want to give away their own ham, I guess they can do it. But even if the herdmans didn't like ham, that was Alice's next idea, they had never in their lives before given anything away except lumps on the head. So you had to be impressed. Leroy dropped the ham in front of the manger. It looked kind of funny to see the ham there instead of the fancy bath salts containers and jars we always used for the myrrh and the frankincense. And then they went and sat down in the only space that was left. And so while we sang, what child is this, the wise men were supposed to confer amongst themselves and then leave by a different door so everyone would understand that they were going home another way. But the herdmans forgot, or they didn't want to, or something, because they didn't confer, and they didn't leave either. They just sat there. And there wasn't a darn thing anybody could do about it. They're ruining the whole thing, Alice whispered. But they weren't, actually, at all. As, it matter, as a matter of fact, it kind of made perfect sense for the wise men to sit down and rest, and I said so. They're supposed to have come from a long way. You wouldn't expect them to just show up, hand over the ham, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> as for ruining the whole thing, it seemed to me that the herdmans had improved the pageant a lot just by doing what came naturally, like burping the baby, for instance, or thinking a ham would make a better present than a bunch of perfumed oil. Usually, by the time we got to Silent Night, I was pretty bored with the whole thing, and I was, couldn't wait for it to be over. But I didn't feel that way this time. I almost wished for the pageant to go on, with the herdmans in charge, to see what else they could do that was different. Maybe the wise men would tell Mary about their problem with Herod, and she would tell them to go back and lie their heads off to him. Or Joseph might go with them and get rid of Herod once and for all. Or Joseph and Mary might ask the wise men to take the baby Jesus with them, figuring no one would look there for him. I was so busy planning new ways to save the baby Jesus that I missed the beginning of Silent Night. But it was all right, because everyone sang Silent Night, including the audience. We sang all the verses, too. And we got to Son of God Loves Pure Light. I happened to look at Imogene, and I almost dropped my hymn book on a baby angel. Everyone had been waiting all this time to do something all this time for the herdmans to do something absolutely unexpected. And sure enough, that's what happened. Imogene Herdman was crying. In the candlelight, her face was all shiny with tears, and she didn't even bother to wipe them away. She just sat there, awful old Imogene, in her crookedy veil, crying and crying and crying. 
Well, it was the best Christmas pageant we ever had. Everybody said so, but nobody seemed to know why. When it was over, people stood around the lobby of the church talking about what was different this year. There was something special, everyone said, and they couldn't put their finger on it. Mrs. Wendelkin said, well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a black eye. That was something special, wasn't it? But only what you might expect, she added. She meant that it was the most natural thing in the world for a herdman to have a black eye. Her eye wasn't actually black either. It was all puffy and swollen. She had walked into the corner of the choir robe cabinet in a kind of a daze, as if she had just caught on to the idea of love and the wonder of Christmas. And this was the funny thing about it all. For years I had thought about the wonder of Christmas and the mystery of Jesus' birth and never really understood it. But now, because of the Herdmans, it didn't seem quite so mysterious after all. When Imogene had asked me what the pageant was about, I told her it was about Jesus, but that was just part of it. It was about a new baby and his mother and father who were in a lot of trouble. No money, no place to go, no doctor, nobody knew them. And then arriving from the east, like my uncle from New Jersey, took some, you know, they had some rich friends come and visit them. But Imogene, I guess, didn't see it that way. Christmas came over her all at once, just like a case of chills and fever. And so she was crying and walking into furniture. Afterward, there were candy canes and little tiny testaments for everyone and a poinsettia plant for my mother from the whole Sunday school. school. We put the costumes away and folded up the collapsible manger. And just before we left, my father snuffed out the last of the tall white candles. I guess that's everything, he said as we stood at the back of the church, all over now. It was quite the pageant. And then he looked at my mother. What's, what's that you've got? It's the ham. They wouldn't take it back. They wouldn't take any candy either or any of the little Bibles, but... Imogene did ask me for a set of the Bible story pictures. And she took out the Mary picture and said it was exactly right, whatever that means. I think it meant that no matter how she herself was, Imogene liked the idea of the Mary in the picture, all beautiful and pure-looking, as if she never washed any dishes or cooked supper or did anything at all except have Jesus on Christmas Eve. But as far as I'm concerned, Mary's always going to look an awful lot like Imogene Herdman. Sort of nervous and bewildered, but ready to clobber anybody that laid a hand on her baby. <laughs> and the wise men were always going to be Leroy and his brothers, bearing ham. When we came out of the church that night, it was cold and clear, with crunchy snow underfoot and bright, bright stars overhead. And I thought about the angel of the Lord, Gladys, 
with her skinny legs and her dirty sneakers sticking out from under her robe and yelling at, and yelling at all of us everywhere. Hey, unto you, a child is born. Andrea and Tim.
too much. Well, I love you too much to ever leave you on your I have a reading now called Winter Solstice by Reverend uh, Dr. Rebecca Ann Parker. Perhaps for a moment, the typewriter will stop clicking, the wheels stop come turning. The computers desist from computing and a hush fall over the city it, for an instant in the stillness. The chiming of the celestial spheres will be heard as earth hangs poised as in the crystalline darkness and then gracefully tilts. Let there be a season when holiness is heard and the splendor of living is revealed. Stunned to stillness by beauty, we remember who we are and why we are here. Their inexplicable mysteries, we are not alone in the universe. There moves a wild one whose gestures aft alter Earth's... Should have brought my real glasses. Um, Earth's access towards love. In the immense darkness, everything spins with joy. The cosmos enfolds us. We are caught in a web of stars, cradled in a swaying embrace, rocked by the holy night, babes of the universe. Let this be the time we wake to life like spring wakes in the moment of winter solstice. We will, we will now sing. Oh. Okay. Is my mic turned on? Yep. So we're going to close out this evening's service by sharing the light as we sing Silent Night. Please stay seated and pick up your candles. Does everyone have a candle? Then as we sing, we will pass the light, and I'm going to ask somebody to turn off all the lights in the back. Andrew, could you do that since you're right there, please? Thank you. I'm going to light a candle on each side here. First, I'll light Corrine's, and then we'll pass them along. As we sing, we will pass the light very carefully from one person to the next. This is very important. As the light comes to you, tilt your unlit candle, so pretend this is your unlit candle, toward the burning light. Then hold your burning candle upright and steady for the person next to you to light their candle from your flame. We receive the light. And it is sometimes not easy, as the conditions have to be just right. If we get it right, 
love and friendship can abound. The light we share reminds us that we are not alone and that the sun is returning. And then, as we pass on the light and share our flame, we become a beacon for others. Pass on your light to those you know, to those unseen and unknown. Share what you have with those who have not. Pass the light. Now we will begin, sing, but begin lighting our candles as we sing our closing hymn, Silent Night, number 251, if you're using the hymn book. The words will appear on the screen. When, when we finish, let's sing the first verse again and then hum until everybody's got their candles lit. And we can feel and see the beauty we are creating together. Then we'll sit in silence for a couple moments. I will not move Mike, Tim's mic stand. You can stay seated.
So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising out of the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But that sound wasn't sad. Why, the sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes, then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any Christmas present at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow it or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and poodling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Is there a chalice still lit? Ruth, would you like to come and extinguish our chalice? If it's still lit, I'm not even sure if it's still going. Okay, thank you. I love that reading, the Grinch. It was our chalice extinguishing light. So I will offer you words of benediction, uh, benediction, and then afterwards we will have our postlude with Andrea and Tim. And uh, feel free to turn out your lights whenever you wish to before you uh, get wax all over your clothes and your shoes. My shoes are covered in wax. Some of my clothes are as well. So keep, keep your light lit as long as you like, but blow it out whenever you choose to. And now I offer you these words of benediction that have become familiar to us. And do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. All things can break, and all things can be mended, but not with time, as they say, with intention. So I invite you, in this Christmas Eve, in this season of love and giving and generosity, to go and love intentionally, love unconditionally, and love extravagantly. The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is within you. Go in peace, gentle people. Go in peace. Maybe it's much too early in the game.
But I thought I'd ask you just the same What are you doing New Year's? New Year's Eve Wonder whose arms will hold you good and tight when it's exactly 12 o'clock that night welcoming in the new year new Maybe I'm crazy to suppose I'd ever be the one you chose out of a thousand invitations you've Jackpot question in advance. What do you do in New Year's? New Year's And I'd also like to thank Alora Kiley for singing for us this evening. Thank you for, for Gordon Ritchie on piano and uh, on harp for you coming out this evening on a cold, blustery Christmas Eve when apparently there's ice pellets coming from the sky. So thank you. Um, and please come and have some Christmas cheer in a cup in the, uh, in the, before you go home. 
Thank you. Thank you.